Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. We've been looking at the last several weeks that this is the seventh week that Revelation, there's nothing new in Revelation. Just the packaging is, is different. And so we've been looking at that Revelation is really John giving us a series of windows that he looks into and he's seeing things. And Revelation is not linear. Revelation is boom, 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 things happening all over the place. And we see that. And Revelation is written to the seven churches. It says that there. It is written to them. It is written for us. And it's written to encourage us. It's written to encourage them. Now, I don't know if you think about Revelation, but uh, that you know, whenever you talk about six six six, it gets a little spooky, doesn't it? It gets a little scary. Anybody with me? I told you about me going to Walmart uh, a while ago, and it rang up six six. I ordered some things, and it rang up six 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 dollars and sixty six cent. And the woman, the cash register, looked at me and she said, "You want some gum?" <laughs> And I said, yes, yes, get some gum. She goes, I don't like it when it does that. Could you imagine doing that all day? <laughs> and so we have this, this thing. Is, and, and I want you to think for just a second at a time where, where you've been scared of something. You've been scared of something. Because so, sometimes when we read Revelation, we're going to read some stuff today. It's going to seem scary. But John is writing to give us hope. He's writing, Revelation is writ- written to let us know that we win. I remember uh, years ago, I've told you this story. Years ago, I, uh, we had a men's event. And, and before we had the men's event, the, the, the previous week, the college-age ministry had gotten a coffin. They'd borrowed a coffin from Caldwell and Cowan, and they had it in the storeroom at the church, and we had this men's event, and the guy said, hey, Gary, we need some more hot dogs. Go back there in the storage room and get the hot dogs. So I'm bebopping them. We need hot dogs. I'm getting hot dogs. And I'm getting the hot dogs out, and all of a sudden, that coffin comes open. And I screamed like a girl, y'all. I did. I, I, I screamed like a girl. I was like, ah, ah, ah. And it was Jacob Fry, the guy who produced the video that does our video projection. He came up out of that. And today, when we look at Revelation, we're going to be talking about the two beasts. We're going to be talking about two beasts, uh, and you're going to look at it that, that these beasts come up, and 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 that you know we're we're scared and, and everything like that. And and John's writing to us, and he's using imagery to let us know that everything's going to be okay. And so today, if you're a guest, here's where we're going. I'm going to read through Revelation 13. And we're going to look at the imagery. I'm, I can't cover everything. You will probably walk out of here with some questions, but we're just going to try to decipher exactly what John is saying to us today. Now, when I use the word two beasts, if you're, if you're here and you're thinking, man, these people are crazy. I came for baby dedication. They're talking about two beasts. <laughs> Why did y'all do that? We don't think it's an actual beast. It's not like a Godzilla movie. Godzilla, Godzilla, you know, and they run. You remember those movies? Maybe just me, but anyway. <laughs> it's not Godzilla coming up out. And everybody runs. But these two beasts in Revelation, John is using imagery to get our attention. He's using imagery to, to capture our emotion. 
He calls, uh, in Revelation, he calls Satan the dragon. And he talks about these beasts serve the dragon. And we're going to look at today, who are these beasts and what is this mark? And so I'm going to jump in. The first beast is any authority that sets itself up against God. Any authority, any government, any political realm, the state, as we would say, any kingdom, any earthly kingdom that sets itself up against God is the beast. And it's been going on uh, since Jesus died and rose again. This has been going on. As a matter of fact, when this is written, they thought it was Rome, and it was Rome, but it wasn't just Rome. It was, it was Germany in World War II. It is uh, uh, militant uh, Islam. I had some of y'all uh, ask me uh, about the video I asked you to, to look at last week, uh, Sheep Among Wolves. I asked you to watch this video, and I know it wasn't the most exciting entertainment, but it was actually some dialogue with Christians who live in militant Islam who are being suppressed. Their faith is being suppressed. And you got to see that. Somebody said, why'd you have this, us looking at it? Because when we talk about persecuted church, we look at it, we have no idea what we're talking about because we're not persecuted. And so when we talk about it, we think we know something about it. And I don't know if you watch that video, but he, one of the Christian guys says, I have these thoughts like, what happens if they come to rape my wife? What happens if they come to rape me? What happens if they come to torture my kids? He has those comments, things that we never think about. And so when John's writing to the church, the church, seven churches, they were being persecuted and he's writing an encouragement to them. And it seems like a weird way to do it, to talk about there's these beasts and this first beast is any authority that sets itself up against God. But let's look at the scripture here. Then I saw a beast riding, rising out of the sea. It had seven heads and 10 horns with 10 crowns on its horns. He's saying this beast is, is beastly. That it's powerful. That's why he's got this imagery. That's why the horns, the crowns, it's not just a little beast. It's a big beast and it's beastly. And written on each head were names that blaspheme God, opposed to God, totally opposed to God. The beast looked like a leopard, but had feet of a bear and a mouth of a lion. And I'm going to stop right here. You go to Daniel 7. There's a description very similar to this. This Again, nothing is new in Revelation. Just the imagery has changed. The message is the same. And the dragon, who is Satan, we looked about this last week, gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed to be wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. Now, this is a, a, a mimicking of the resurrection. This whole concept that there's a dragon and two beasts is a mimicking of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John's writing. I know it's a lot of imagery. and We decipher through it. We're like, what is he talking about? This is what's going on. He says, this is an imitation God, an imitation Jesus, even to the point of he was almost dead. But the truth is that this beast is hard to kill in our lives. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against the people of God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name, his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven, and the beast was allowed to wage war. And I want to stop here because this is the reoccurring theme of Revelation, that there is a war going on. 
You saw the video. There's a war going on for your soul and my soul that we're not just waking up on Monday and going to work. We're not just watching football games on Saturday. That there's something supernatural going on in our hearts and our minds in this force. As a matter of fact, that Paul writes that our battle is not against flesh and blood, against the spiritual powers and authorities. That that's what's going on. He says he's allowed to wage war against those. Where'd it go? It disappeared. Can we go back to it or am I missing it? Top line. Okay, wage war against the God's holy people and conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over. Thanks for whoever helped me out with that. Anyway. <laughs> Every tribe and people and language and nation and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. John's saying, hey, if you hear this, you need to listen up. You ever tell your kids, hey, listen. Be careful. Hey, listen. Do it like this. You're at work, you tell somebody to do something that's dangerous. Hey, listen. Be careful right here. Do it like this. John's writing, says, listen. Anyone who's destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone who's destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. A couple of thoughts on this first passage. The first is this. There's a battle for our allegiance. There is. There's a battle for your allegiance and my allegiance. Every authority that sets itself up against God is part of the beast. And sometimes that is oppressive and it's in our face. And you're going to see when we get to beast two that sometimes it is subtle. But the whole thing is this pulling away of our allegiance. Pulling away of our allegiance, turning us from Christ to anything else, to the state, to the government, to some political uh, organization or movement or whatever. Maybe the authority is us. That set myself up. I'm the authority by the way I live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's part of the beast. The second thing is that you and I must remain faithful. He says, those who will be persecuted will be persecuted. And those who die will die. But we must be remain faithful. And John's writing says, hey, some of you are going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to die. So be it. And I don't know. We, 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 hear, we have this conversation. If you're old like me, you have this conversation. Persecution is coming to America. You ever have that conversation? Persecution is coming to America. I don't know. I really don't. But John says, if it is, so be it. If we lose our life for our faith, so be it. We're going to remain faithful. Well, then John writes a second beast. Is this encouraging to you? <laughs> now you're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> he writes a second beast. The second beast is false religion. The second beast reinforces the first beast. John says, then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb. Again, this is imitation, talking about a lamb. Jesus is a lamb. 
and he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised great authority of the, of the first beast. He required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, making even fire flash down from the sky. This is going back to the Old Testament, Elijah, with fire. With, and with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded anyone refusing to worship it must die, just like Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand and on his forehead. And I want to stop right here. In the Old Testament, the people of God, the people of Israel, they were to wear a mark on their head. They were, they were to wear, wear a mark on their head and a mark on their hand. And it was just their commitment to God. They were supposed to do it. This is imitation of this. This is imitation. The mark of the beast is imitation that it's opposite of that. It's against God. I'm against God. The mark on the head is ideology. The way I think. I think I'm against God. Now, none of us think like that, but we are led to things like that. We, we don't constantly wake up in the morning and go, hey, I'm against God. But the way we live, the way we think, the way our mind works, it goes against God's morals, his principles, his values, his commandments. His leading in our life, the Holy Spirit in our life, that, that we can wear that, that mark on the hand is actions. It's what we do, what we do, the things we, we do with our life, how we live it is against God. That's what he's saying. It's, it's, it's imitation. It's the exact opposite. They were given a mark in his right hand or forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark. Now, this is funny. You know, a lot of people, if you ever wonder what the mark of the beast was, Anybody? I know you watched uh, The Omen and you knew it was Damien, but anyway, so. You know what's funny is that we used to think it was Damien and then there was all these other movies where they named people who were bad, Jason and Chucky and everything else. So we're not sure who the mark of the beast is and everything. And I want to spend some time on this because a lot of times we, we miss it. We think it's going to be, and again, we're not the authority here in Revelation. And there's certainly been a lot of movies written and a lot of books written, and there's a lot of churches that have different beliefs. And what I'm going to tell you, they, they, they believe that it's one man. And we're not being spiritually arrogant here and telling you that it's one, not that, but, but we're presenting that it is mankind. That the mark of the beast is anyone who has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. The mark of the beast, and let's just be honest, and some of you aren't going to like this, some of the people in this room have the mark of the beast. That if it is what I said it is, that it's anyone who's not surrendered their life to Christ, if anybody who has the ideology that, 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 that I oppose God, anybody who with their actions is not living out the Christian life, then that's, that's the mark of the beast. Now, that's scary, isn't it? It's scary to me. It's, to me, that's scarier than somebody rising up out of a coffin in the middle of a storage room. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Listen, wisdom is needed. Let no one with understanding 
Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, of a man. His number is 666. The number seven is perfection. The number seven is perfection. So six is close, but it's imperfection. And in the Bible, there are things that happen in sevens, and then there are things that happen in three, like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so it is 666, incompletion at its best. This whole concept of incompletion, this whole concept of that something that is close, whereas the first beast is, is, is oppressive, the first beast is government authorities, the second one's subtle. It's false teaching. It's close. Listen to me. It's 666, which seems so close to 777. Is everybody with me on this? Six is how many away from seven? Help me out here. Come on. Six is one away. It's very, very close. Very, very close. And so it's really subtle, like you're close. And the second beast is false teaching, false prophets, false religion that tells you, and hear, hear me, listen to me, that tells you that you don't need Jesus Christ. You don't need the church. Man, you're close. You're a good person. Man, you're, you're, you're a good person. You don't need to stop doing that. You can do that. The Bible says you shouldn't do it, but you can do it because you're a good person. It's very, very subtle. This beast is subtle. He works in our minds and our hearts. So subtle. Hey, you're close. You're pretty good. It's really close. It's not that big a deal. It's six. God wants seven. And it's simply six. It's kind of like when you're in school. You want to get an A, but you get a B. I felt good with Bs, y'all. I did. I got a B. I felt pretty good. That's kind of where I like it. It's very, very subtle, pulling us away, deceiving us, pulling us away. We drift slowly, 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 slowly. And this is going on in all our lives. That the enemy, the first beast is a state, be oppressive. Any authority it sets itself up against, the second beast is coming along with false teaching going, hey, he's right. You know what? You're the authority. You don't submit. You don't surrender. You don't sacrifice. You don't want to go to church. Those people are hypocrites. You don't want to be there. You'd be by yourself. You've got it together. You're good. God's going to save you because you're good. He knows your heart. You're a good person. You don't need Jesus. You don't need a church. The goal of the first beast is get us to worship the goal of the second beast is to get us to worship the first beast. Hear me today. Hear me. We must resist. You and I, John is writing to a group of people that is being persecuted, and he's writing, not so they'd be scared, but so they would resist, so they would stand firm, so they would be wise, so they would see what was going on. There's something bigger going on in your life and my life than what's going on today to day. That something's going on. There's a battle for your soul, my soul, your family's soul. We just had kids on the stage where they dedicated their kids to know the Lord to the best of their ability. You don't think that's going to be a supernatural battle for the rest of their lives? So how do you resist? I'll be quick. The writer of Hebrews 
gives us, man, a really, really good picture of it. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, listen to me. You resist when you make a decision that you're going to be part of the family of God. That you're not going to fight this battle alone. That you're going to have people standing on the stage alongside of people standing in a crowd. Just like we stood and we said, we're with you. There's people who have gone before us and they're standing up saying, we're with you. We're with you. Come on. Come on. It's worth it. You do it. You sacrifice. You give. You follow Jesus when it hurts. You obey. Come on. It's worth it. Come on. Come on. And he said, this invitation for us to be part of the family of God. That's what he's saying. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness to the life of faith, then he says, you pursue holiness. You and I pursue holiness that you strip off every weight that slows you down. If it slows you down, you're getting rid of it. I'm throwing it off. I'm getting rid of it. It's killing me. It's keeping me from Christ. It's pulling it away. I want to go follow Christ and I'm dragging this baggage. He said, you get rid of it. And he says, you get rid of this sin that so easily trips you up that you and I have got sin in our life. We make decisions. No more. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm stopping this because it's killing me. And I'm going to pursue holiness. And then finally, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion. Man, I love that word, don't you? I love that word. Man, you and I have a champion. We fix our eyes on the champion. And he's the champ. He's the one who's coming back. And listen to what he does. He initiates and perfects our faith. You fix your eyes in Jesus, man, he's drawing you closer. He's come on in. He's making you better. He's making you stronger. He's saving us, redeeming us, restoring us. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor. Where are you at today? Let me ask you this. Where are you at today? Is God working in your life? Are your eyes totally fixed on Jesus Christ? Maybe today you've heard this stuff and you're like, man, that's crazy. Look, I can embrace it. It's, it's bizarre. But there's a God out there that he loves you. And he went to the cross and we celebrate what he did, that he didn't just die, he rose from the dead. And he wants to work in our life. But maybe today, you, if you're really honest... You've had some beasts working in your life. Maybe it's been subtle. Or maybe it's just been flat out rebellion. And today is the day that you can repent. Today is a, a moment where you can say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to resist. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to remain faithful. Jesus first. His kingdom. He's coming back. His church. Maybe that's the commitment you need to make today. I'm going to open up the front for prayer. The front being an altar. Cameron's going to play. We're not going to drag this out forever, but maybe your act today is that you need to come repent, or maybe you need to come and just 
pray to God about an area of your life? Maybe you need to accept Christ. I'd be down front. I'd love to talk with you about whatever's going on in your life. But don't miss it. There's a battle going on. You're in it. You're in it. You're part of it. There's a great crowd saying, come on, come on, it's worth it. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, we know there's an enemy out there, but Lord, you have defeated him. And he works and he maneuvers and he schemes. But he will not win. And Lord, when we keep our eyes on you, we claim victory over every authority, every power, every inkling in our hearts, in our minds that wants to wander. So Lord, I pray for the person today to come back to you, that we would come back, we would repent. I pray for the person today that's never placed their faith in you, that they would just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. I'm trusting in you today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you come? Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church slash give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you, we love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.